But I want to talk tonight a little bit about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, if you would. Matthew chapter 1. If you have been in church any time at all, or if you've, just for those who pay attention during Christmas time, what you hear people saying is that Jesus Christ's birth was a miraculous birth. And they may not understand all their, what that means when they say that, but there really could not be a more accurate description of the birth of Jesus Christ than to call it a miraculous birth. Many reasons for why this birth was not like any other birth that ever occurred on this earth. Uh, nothing really compares to the birth of Jesus Christ. And among all the things that make this birth unique, uh, and there are many that stand out, the one thing that makes it very unique is the fact that this birth was a virgin birth. And what that means is Jesus Christ was born, came from the womb of a woman who had never known a man. And Jesus Christ is born. Uh, the virgin birth is a fundamental doctrine of the church, a fundamental doctrine found in the word of God. And we're going to lay the foundation for that tonight, hopefully, and let you see that every other doctrine of scripture is based in the virgin birth. If the virgin birth is not true, uh, everything else we believe falls apart. We'll talk more about that as we go. Now, there are two places in scripture, two accounts in scripture that give us specific uh, information and foundation for the virgin birth. Uh, Luke's account in his gospel and also Matthew in his gospel. Uh, and they both go into great detail to let us know that this birth was not an ordinary birth. Or rather, it was a birth that was supernatural. So what I want to do in this brief Bible study time this evening is look at the virgin birth as accounted by the, the writer, God, the gospel writer, Matthew. I'd like for us to briefly study the evidence he gives us regarding the claim that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And this may be repetitious for some of you tonight, but I really believe with all the attacks that have been waged over the years toward this doctrine, it's good for us to kind of reinforce it in our minds again. Because you see, folks, everything we believe about Jesus Christ, everything we believe about our salvation, hinges on the virgin birth, hinges on this doctrine. And so we need to have it clear in our minds, the indisputable proof God gives us in the scripture that Jesus Christ was born with no human male involved. So I'd like you to look, first of all, at the book of Matthew, I'd like you to consider the writer, Matthew himself. Uh, before Matthew was a disciple, you are aware he was a tax collector, a publican. Uh, it was his job to collect money from the people that they owed to the government. Now, typically, a tax collector is employed by, also employs a group of subordinates that help him get the money from the people. And these underlings were often dishonest, and they were cruel, and would shake people down and extort money from them to get money not just for the government, but also to get a pay for themselves as well. So these taxes were paid to the Romans, and the Jews didn't like that at all because it was a heavy burden to bear. They also didn't like the fact that the Romans were in charge of them and didn't want to give any money to them whatsoever. That's who Matthew was. Matthew was a tax collector. That's the background of this gospel writer. And you'd assume because of the work that he did that he was a very practical man and a very unemotional man. He couldn't do this kind of work with his heart. He had to do it with his head. He had to simply know what the job was and do it. And the only thing Matthew was concerned about was pay the taxes, or you're, you're going to be penalized for that. That's all he cared about. And he endured a lot of abuse to get the job done. And this man, this tax collector, became an apostle, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure based on his background, he studied these things very carefully before he uh, committed himself to following Jesus Christ. If anybody knew a scam when he saw one, Matthew was the guy. He was not going to be pulled into anything that might be a trick, might not have a good foundation. So I'm sure that when he heard about the birth of Jesus Christ, he studied that birth not with his heart, but with his head. He studied that thing out. He wanted to see the facts of the birth. He had to be convinced that what they were saying about Jesus Christ was true, or he was going to have no part of it whatsoever. So in this gospel account, I don't believe you're reading the writings of a man who is sympathetic at all to the stories that were being passed around. He was either going to see proof of it and believe it, 
or he was going to prove them false and go on his way. He was a man who lived at the time also when these things were occurring. Uh, what's interesting about Matthew and also Luke, they lived at the time when the folks who observed these things were also living. They could talk to these folks and get exactly what they, or what they thought and exactly what happened during whatever event they were talking about. So because of that, he investigated this thing thoroughly from the people who actually were there when it happened. And the first two chapters of the book of Matthew, you have that very belief, the belief in the virgin birth. Now, I want to give you three proofs tonight of the virgin birth. I'll give you an outline as well. If you've grabbed an outline on your way in, they're also on your outline this evening. Three proofs of the virgin birth. Here's the first one. The first proof of the virgin birth is found in the genealogies. Now, I know you cringe when you hear me say that. Who wants to look at the genealogies, name after name after name? But I'm going to tell you something. There's great truth found in that. God puts everything in his word for a reason. Those genealogies are there, and the proof of the virgin birth is found in those genealogies. We have the genealogy of Jesus Christ found in two places in Scripture, one time in Luke and one time in Matthew. Now, I'd like you to hold your hand there in Matthew, if you would, and turn to the book of Luke. I'll turn to Luke chapter 3, if you would. Let's look at Luke's account first, because there's a discrepancy here that has caused some concern for folks, and it's really no discrepancy at all. Now, Luke chapter 3. And when you get to look at verse 23, Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it says there, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Now, notice there it says, Joseph was the son of Heli. Now, you got a problem here, because Matthew tells us that Jacob begat Joseph. So we've got Joseph having two fathers. He, is, he has a father, Heli, in Luke 23, and a father, Jacob, in Matthew chapter 1. So how do we explain this? Well, in Jewish custom, when a man married a woman, he became part of that woman's family, and he was treated as a son. That is what happened when Joseph married, uh, married Mary. Uh, he did, became part of that family. Notice in verse 23 here of, cha- of Luke chapter 3, it does not say that, uh, that Heli begat Joseph. It says, rather, that he was the son of Joseph. In reality, what Joseph was to Heli was a son-in-law. Not his son, but a son-in-law. Why is that important? That's important because what you have here in Luke chapter 3 is not the uh, the, uh, genealogy of Joseph. What you have is the genealogy of Mary. And Joseph is put in there as a son-in-law to to this father of, of Mary, Heli. Why is that important? Well, it's important because one of the stipulations if Jesus Christ is going to be the Messiah, he's got to come from the lineage of David. He's got to be born through that line, through the line of David. That was proof that he was the Messiah. If Joseph was not Jesus Christ's real father, then his lineage doesn't count. It doesn't matter where Joseph came from because Jesus Christ is not from Joseph. He's from somewhere else. So if Jesus Christ was the Messiah, then Mary had to be of David's family. It's the only way that could have happened because Joseph was not of that family. Otherwise, Jesus Christ's claims were lies. But here we have in Luke chapter 3 that she was from that family. She came from the family of David. And because of that, the lineage that she provides clears the way for the virgin birth. Uh, Through Mary's background, Jesus Christ has the qualifications that he needs, and Joseph does not need to be involved. We can set Joseph aside as far as that need for the lineage to be from David. Uh, So he does not have to be Jesus Christ's real father. The Lord worked things out just like he wanted it to. He made sure that it happened just like it was supposed to. Now, look at 23 again, if you would, verse 23, and notice what uh, Luke puts in parentheses. I I love how this goes. (laughs) Notice he says there, being as was supposed. (laughs) 
What it says is, they thought Joseph was the father of, of Jesus Christ. He really wasn't. It's almost as though Luke is kind of winking at us and saying, you know, everybody thinks this. That's the story going around. It's not true. He was not the father of Jesus Christ. Somebody else was the father of Jesus Christ. So go back now to Matthew, if you would. Luke makes a case here that Joseph was not the father of Jesus Christ, in spite of what some might have believed. Now look at Matthew chapter 1, and look at verses 1 through 17. Now I was, I was going to ask Steve to read through these verses for us tonight, just to laugh at him, to look, go through all these names, hear how he pronounced them and so forth. But it's Christmas, I'm going to be nice, I'm not going to do that. But what we have here from verse 1 through verse 17 is the genealogy of Joseph. Not Mary, but Joseph. Matthew starts with Abraham, if you notice, and goes all the way down through, and -and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and -and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and and on and on it goes. And there's a pattern here. Uh, One person begets somebody else, who begets somebody else, who begets somebody else. That thing goes on and on until you hit verse 16. Notice verse 16, if you would. It says there, and Joseph begat, rather, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now, catch what he says there. He says that, that, that Jacob begat Joseph, and he was the husband of Mary, and from Mary came Jesus Christ. Notice Jacob begat Joseph, but Joseph did not beget Jesus Christ. The verse changes its, changes its routine in verse 16. Joseph was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus Christ. Of whom? Not of Joseph, but of Mary. The genealogy stops with Joseph and doesn't go any farther. The baby that was born was not Joseph's baby. It came from Mary. This baby had no human genealogy on his father's side. He had human parentage on his mother's side, but not his father's side. So the only conclusion we can draw from that is Jesus Christ had no human genealogy on his father's side because he had no human father. And I really believe if this were a hoax, uh, Joseph was truly the baby's father. Matthew would have found that out. Again, you weren't going to fool Matthew. He was going to figure this thing out because he was going to study every part of it to make sure it was true. He was going to make sure everything that he heard was correct. And so I'm sure that if he had found through his study that Joseph was truly the father of Jesus Christ, he would have seen all of it as a huge lie, and he would have had resigned himself from the, the apostleship and gone on his way. So his obvious conclusion here, as he writes this account in Matthew chapter 1, is this baby had a human mother and a father who was God himself. And that is the first proof we have that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin with no human male being involved. It's the record of, of the, the one who studied it out, uh, the record from, uh, from Matthew. Now, what's the second proof we have? The second proof we have comes from one who is a very participant of this whole situation. He was a participant in what went on that day. It is the testimony of Joseph himself. I think that if Matthew is going to study this thing out, the one person he wanted to talk to is Joseph. <laughs> I'm sure he wanted to see what Joseph's perspective on this was. If there had been intimacy between Joseph and Mary prior to the conception of Jesus Christ, Joseph certainly would know about it. So his report of what happened would be extremely important and a key part to the proof whether or not Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. So look at Matthew chapter 1, if you would, and look at verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Very important words there. It says, before they came together. Almost in passing, Matthew gives us one more proof, one more commentary on the birth of Jesus Christ. 
he says, as if he's saying, just so you know, there was no physical contact between them. Before they came together, Jesus Christ was born. Uh, it's another reminder to us that Jesus Christ was virgin born. Then look at verse 19. It says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Every Christmas you hear stories about the uh, Christmas stories, hear sermons about the Christmas story. You hear sermons about Mary. You hear sermons about the baby. You hear sermons about the shepherds. You even hear sermons about the star. Hear very few sermons about Joseph. <laughs> very few sermons about this one who is a participant in this. He played a key role in this thing, and his role in this thing is really quite remarkable. Uh, just put yourself in his place for a minute. He's engaged to a woman. They're making plans to be married. In just a few months, they're going to be married. In the middle of these plans, she comes along and says to him, hey, just so you know, I'm pregnant. So Joseph thinks about this situation. The Bible says here he's a just man. Uh, Joseph wanted to do the right thing. He was seeking God's will in all this. And so he decides that in order to save embarrassment for Mary and in order to avoid the shame that would be caused to him as well, uh, since everyone was going to think it's his child, he decides to break off the engagement. But you see, in this verse, he still cares very much about her. So he decides to do this thing privily or quietly. Nobody's going to know except those who are connected to it. She won't be publicly humiliated as a result. Look at verse 20. It says, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. In the middle of this whole situation, as he's thinking about what to do about this whole deal, the Holy Ghost appears to Joseph and tells him the truth about this baby. And the Lord tells Joseph, don't do what you're planning on doing. Uh, stop right now. We're going to go with a different plan. And I want to stop you here just for a moment and sort of as an aside, sort of as an application. That's how God works in the life of every person who is truly seeking God's will for their life. Just like that. We are all faced at times with decisions, and often we're not sure the direction we should go. Uh, we see the positives, we see the negatives, we try to weigh everything out on both sides, but really can't decide what's the best choice. What this verse tells me is this. If my heart is right, if I'm truly seeking God's will in the things I do, what I simply need to do is make a decision and let God confirm if it's the right decision or allow him to step in and stop me if, it's the, if there's a better way to go. My job as a child of God, if you're saved here tonight, your job is to keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Just keep doing what you think God's called you to do. My job as a believer in Jesus Christ is to fix my eyes on Jesus Christ and move in the direction of his plan the best that I know how to do it. And if my way is right, he'll confirm that to me. And if my way is wrong, he's responsible and he will step in and show me the way that is the better way that he wants me to go. And my only requirement in all of this is to keep my heart pure and keep my motives right and keep moving forward for the cause of Christ. So many believers get stuck. They're not sure what decision to make, so they make no decision. And while they sit making no decision, time goes by, opportunities are missed, and the work of the Lord stops. We must never get so fixed on making a decision that I don't hear what the Lord is saying to me when he wants him to move in a particular direction. Every believer has to be so open to what God wants them to do and open to Jesus Christ changing their plans that if that's what he chooses to do, we allow him to do that. And when God wants to change your plans, here's your response. Yes, sir. I'll do whatever you call me to. 
That's the response of an obedient believer. And just go the way he's called you to go. That's what Joseph did here. He had a plan. He felt like it was the right plan. He was a just man trying to do the right thing. He made a decision. But in the middle of that thing, the Holy Ghost stops him and says, Joseph, I've got a better idea for you. And Joseph followed that plan instead. And here's the reason. Here's here the reason is revealed to Joseph why it's going on. The baby that is born of Mary is, rather I should say, Mary is carrying God's baby. I can't conceive of that. That's what happened. According to the account here, Mary was carrying God's baby. So here you have the Holy Ghost confirming to Joseph what he already revealed to Mary. Now get the picture here. Mary's over here. Joseph's over here. They're not communicating about this thing. And God reveals to both of them the exact same thing. The baby that's inside Mary is not anybody else's baby, but God's baby. By the mouth of two or three witnesses shall a thing be established. The independent testimony of two different people most closely involved in the situation. Both of them received the same information. Both of them received that information in two different places without any discussion going on between them. And what they hear on both sides is this baby has come with no man involved. This baby will be born of a virgin. And I can almost picture Matthew giving Joseph a third degree. My guess is he had Joseph sitting somewhere, the hot light on him grilling him as best he could to get the facts out of him to see what really went on. He wanted to make sure there were no loopholes in this story whatsoever. And so he takes every fact presented and every statement and examines them thoroughly to make sure they all make sense. And the end result is exactly what Matthew wrote here. What he wrote here is, there is no doubt, there is no skepticism. What he has written here in regard to Joseph's testimony, what you see, he came to the conclusion that this baby was truly born of the Virgin Mary. He, she, he came from a virgin. So in this record, we have the testimony of the genealogies. We also have the testimony of one of the main participants, Joseph himself. One more proof tonight I want to give you, found in verse 22. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. It says there, Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. These verses say that all this was done to accomplish one specific end. What was it? That the scripture might be fulfilled. That the prophecies of the Old Testament might be fulfilled. That the prophets who spoke thousands of years ago, that what they said might be fulfilled in this event. If you're a student of the Bible, you know the Old Testament is full of prophecies about Jesus Christ. All through that Old Testament, you'll find Jesus Christ almost on every page of that Old Testament. And in those testimonies, in those things that you see there, you'll find evidence of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the birth being foretold. I'm going to have you to turn to, turn to two of them tonight, if you would. So take your Bible and go back to the book of Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 7, if you would. Isaiah chapter 7. I'm just going to give you two tonight, and we're going to wrap it up, but I want to give you two prophecies from the Old Testament that point to this fact that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. It could not be any clearer. That verse specifically says that when the Messiah is born, he's going to be born of a virgin. Now, all the Pharisees and all the unbelievers at the time of the Gospels missed this prophecy. And by the way, they're still missing it today. 
This verse is so clear and so conclusive, the only way to get around that, the only way some folks have chosen to get around that, is just to change the verse altogether. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, in some translations of the Bible, doesn't say virgin. It says young woman. And so the verse says, Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son. Well, folks, there's nothing spectacular about that. Uh, Young women have babies all the time. (laughs) There's no kind of prophecy or no kind of prediction there whatsoever. Uh, If it was a a young woman, uh, there's no sense of even making the comment. Nothing special. What made the birth of Jesus Christ so special, what makes this prophecy so special, is because the Bible says this Messiah is going to be born having never known a man. The woman who bears him will have never known a man. And by the way, that prediction in Isaiah came 700 years before it happened. 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, the Bible says when that baby comes, it's going to be born of a virgin. 700 years prior. Okay, go back a little farther now, if you would. Go back to the book of Genesis. Go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. Now we're looking at almost 2,000 years before, almost 4,000 years before Jesus Christ was born. Here's another prophecy we're going to find. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. In this verse, God is laying out the penalty to Adam and Eve because they sinned in taking the fruit. And he's also laying out the penalty to the serpent that tempted them to sin. Notice verse 15. Speaking to the serpent now. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed, look at it, and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. What God says there is someday there's going to be a battle and And the devil is ultimately going to be defeated. And the one who's going to defeat him is going to be from the seed of a woman, her seed. And there you have in the Bible, the very first book of the Bible, the prediction of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Because that verse says the devil is going to be defeated by the seed of a woman, a reference to Jesus Christ. I'm going to take you back a long way for some of you. I'm going to take you back to eighth grade health class. Eighth grade health class, you'll remember that in those reproductive uh, discussions they had with you, uh, they told you the woman does not have the seed. The man has the seed. But it says here in in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the woman's going to have the seed. Why does God say that? God says that because God planted that seed in the woman by the Holy Ghost. That seed came from the Spirit of God. No man passed that seed to her. That baby was born from her seed, and that seed was given to her by God. By the way, that's why the liberals do everything they possibly can to destroy the book of Genesis. That book describes mankind's problem. It describes God's solution to mankind's problem and shows how the solution is going to get here to the seed of a woman. And the solution for mankind's problem comes through no human effort whatsoever. Every problem you see in the world is not going to be solved by mankind going to be solved by the seed of a woman (laughs) going to be solved by that one who is born of a virgin that's the solution to every problem we have in life the solution is jesus christ so in the isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 you have two proofs from scripture that jesus christ was born of a virgin jesus christ was born of a virgin because scripture said he would be and that's the only real proof we need because you see folks here's the bottom line to all this That book you have in your lap tonight is either God's word or it's not. It is either God's word or it's not God's word. That book before you tonight does not just contain the word of God or contain the words of God. It has every word in it is God's words. And I believe this. I believe every punctuation mark in that book is God's. I believe every verse marking in that book of God's. I think everything in that book came from God. And this is what I also believe. I believe everything that book says is true. 
I don't think there's one lie in that book. I think it's true from cover to cover. And if that's the case, then if the Bible said he's going to be virgin born, then he's going to be born of a virgin. Because if there's one part of that book that's not true, that entire book is worthless. If one part of it's not true, it may be nice reading, it may have an appealing style, it may be great literature, but if anything in that book that it says is not true, I'm going to take that book home and start a fire with it. (laughs) Because there's no worth to it. That book claims to be the word of God. And God is not a man that he should lie. Any false statement in that book makes God a liar. If you find one thing in that book that's not true, God lied to you. God lied to you. And I want no part of a book from a God who makes promises to me that he can't fulfill. If the virgin birth, please hear me tonight, if the virgin birth is false, then the plan of salvation might also be false. If the virgin birth is false, then maybe the promise of heaven is also false. If the virgin birth is false, maybe the cross and the resurrection are also false. If that book is unreliable in one place, it casts doubt over the whole thing, and it's worthless. However, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, just like the book said. And the virgin birth of Jesus Christ gives credibility to the entire word of God. That book said it would happen the way it would happen, and it happened just like the book said it would. I believe the promise of the virgin birth. I believe the doctrine of the virgin birth because a promise of that thing came from a supernatural book, a book with God's fingerprints all over it. A book written by the Holy Ghost himself. And therefore it is true because the God who presented it to us is true. So there's Matthew's record tonight. There is a testimony of somebody who investigated the facts of the birth and discovered the same thing that Luke the physician also discovered, that the birth of Jesus Christ was a supernatural birth orchestrated by the God of heaven. Now, I want to give you two applications, and we're going to close. Because he was virgin-born, because Jesus Christ was virgin-born, he was God, and he is God. Because he's virgin-born, he was born of God, he's God. And that means he's sinless. And because he's sinless, his death on the cross can pay for my sins. God made a requirement. He said when the sacrifice comes, that sacrifice is going to have to be perfect. It's got to be a perfect sacrifice. If Jesus Christ had sin on him, he was no better than I was. Because I've got sin on me as well. He couldn't die for me. He had to die for himself. But you see, because Jesus Christ came from a virgin, because he was born of God himself, he came sinless. And therefore, he can be the sinless and perfect, spotless sacrifice that I need. And the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross that day was shed to bring peace between God and man. That's why it was shed. And when Jesus Christ died that day, God accepted that sacrifice. And when I put my faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation, when I claim him as my personal Savior, my sins are paid for and my soul is saved and I've got peace with God. Now, if you don't have that tonight, you need to get that because it's available to everybody. God offers salvation to all. When Jesus Christ died upon that cross and shed that blood, he shed that blood for you. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that when Jesus Christ hung upon that cross, he was thinking about Sabaka. And I think he was thinking about you as well. I think when he died, he said, I'm dying for Sabaka. I'm shedding my blood for Sabaka. And he said the same thing about you. And he could do that, and that's, that blood could be uh, effective because he was sinless, and therefore that blood was perfect. And when the blood was shed, it took care of sins for anybody who would trust the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Only true because he was virgin born. Had he not been virgin born, it would have made no difference whatsoever. 
That's the first application. Here's the second one. I believe the real foundation of the story of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ can be found in one word. Obedience. Obedience. God came to Mary and Joseph and gave to them a task that seemed impossible. God asked them to follow a plan that would mean personal embarrassment and personal ridicule to them. And God said, I want you to follow this plan, even though nothing has ever been done like this before. I want you to follow the plan anyway. Mary and Joseph did exactly what God asked them to do because Mary and Joseph were sold out to Jesus Christ. They were sold out to God and they were willing to follow no matter what he asked them to do. Now, I guarantee you, this is not what Mary and Joseph wanted. (laughs) They wouldn't have come up with this plan themselves. They didn't seek this thing out. They just wanted a normal engagement and a normal marriage. But God stepped in and changed those plans, and they abided by the plan of God, and therefore God blessed them and God used them to bring the Savior to the world as a result because of that obedience. I want to say to you one more time, believer, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, let me tell you something. Don't ever get so set in your plan that you refuse to allow God to change those plans if he wants to change them. Be ready at any moment to change your plan if God asks you to. At any moment. Uh, Because, you see, if we don't do that, uh, we're going to mess our lives up and not be effective for Jesus Christ. No matter what you want for your life. Always be open to the supernatural leading of the Spirit of God, because I'm going to tell you something. God's plan is always better than my plan. <laughs> always. When God steps in and says, hey, I'd like you to, I want you to do this instead, it'd be wise for me to do that, because his plan is always best. The only thing that I can do to mess up my life is refuse to follow God's plan when he reveals it to me. Even if it takes me in the opposite direction of where I want to go. <laughs> Mary and Joseph saw God do a miracle in their lives because they were obedient. And God can do miracles in your life and in my life as well if we just follow the plan and let him take us where he wants us to go. You want to see a miracle in your life? Just follow him. Just follow him. He'll show you stuff you'll never see any other way. (laughs) He'll take you down roads you never even knew existed. And when you get done with that plan and get to the other side of it, you're going to be amazed what God did through you. Just follow the plan. Just follow the plan. The Bible says... Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, folks, God is with you. And God is with you now, and God will be with you at at the end of your life, and God will be with you for all of eternity. Why? Because a baby conceived one day, born of a virgin. Praise God for it. Let's pray.